What's going on, guys? Welcome to App Philosophy Weekly, and let's unwrap the tech of today. I'm your host, Bram Shank, and let's get started. Our breaking news story of the day, Apple has just released release candidates for iOS 14.4, iPadOS 14.4, tvOS 14.4, and watchOS 7.3. That means 14.4 is on its way, guys. That includes the spatial audio support for the HomePod, the spatial handoff that's U1 enabled. Um, so that's exciting stuff. A couple things with app clips going on. Um, so that's that's really exciting stuff, guys. What do you guys think? Yeah, really great news to know that it's on its way. I'm personally excited about applets. I'm really interested in like the future of I'm almost going to be calling applets augmented reality because it's like you're taking you're you're, you're augmenting your experience at a store with a device. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah, I want to open up a discussion about this. And, you know, this is this is just sort of run of the mill news. Apple releases software all the time, but it's good to see that that uh, iOS 14.4 is totally out of beta on the topic of app clips. And I want to I want to swing over to George to answer this first and then we'll move on to Anton. George, you mentioned how excited you are about app clips. Now, the way I think of app clips is kind of like a QR code on steroids. It works with NFC. So it's kind of that that ease of use that you see with Apple Pay, but the capability of QR codes. And we saw a lot of use cases demoed uh, back in WWDC 2020. That was really cool. But we haven't really seen them implemented very much since then. We've seen them at a couple gas stations, coffee shops and whatnot. It wasn't. It didn't sweep the world like I thought it was going to be. And a lot of that could be attributed to uh, to COVID and all the stuff that we're going through right now. One of the things that stood out to me, and I don't know if you noticed this, is after the release of iOS 14, um, Apple was doing in-store pickup for the products that it was releasing, the M1 Max, Apple Watch Series 6, all of its late 2020, you know, quarter four products. They were doing in-store pickup for that. And when you got to the Apple Store, it had a prompt, a little banner in front of the store with a QR code and not an app clip to download the, the Apple Store app. So even Apple isn't promoting its own QR code alternative. What are your thoughts on that? Do they Are they not visualizing this as an alternative to a QR code? Or why are they still hanging on to old legacy methods? Well, I think definitely COVID has made everything a lot more difficult in every industry. So you're not necessarily going out in public and near field connection, which is what NFC stands for. Like you're not going to be near enough to people to basically be able to utilize NFC. Um, That's one of the things I'm thinking about. And also... I'm keep in mind that this is brand new. They just announced it uh, last. This is brand new technology. They just announced it in uh, WWDC 2020. And let's keep in mind that Apple Pay was announced with the, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while since I brushed up on my facts, but the iPhone 5S, I believe, back in 2013, 14. And it took a couple years for it to catch on. So I think... 
now like every every store and their dog uh, accepts Apple Pay. We're gonna see a same. We're gonna see the same type of adoption cycle with that. It's gonna take a couple years for like developers. You're gonna first have your like high-end boutique stores who are going to be able to implement the technology, and then as it becomes more ubiquitous, we're just gonna have more and more people start to utilize it. Well, that's what's interesting about the technology for me, and particularly with Apple Pay. Just so we can refresh a bit of history here. Uh, you mentioned the 5S. Uh, we actually first saw Apple Pay uh, debut with the iPhone 6 when it released in 2014. And like you said, that took a while to catch on. And it was that NFC, you know, sort of drop your phone in front of the kiosk and pay, the near field communication aspect of it. We saw that that took a while to catch on. What stood out to me was the ma and pa shops were adopting this before the big corporations. And it's because Apple made it so easy with things like the square kiosk that you can pop into an iPad, those were NFC enabled within a year. And so we saw Apple Pay really catch on more so in mom and pa shops, farmers markets, things like that. And what stood out to me is you mentioned adoption. So, you know, that's, that's a valid point. And Anton can add to this. You wouldn't expect people, you know, from day one for, for most of your customers to be on the latest version of your operating system. But with Apple, that seems to be the case. Um, Anton, I, maybe you could refresh us on this. I believe 80% of people were already running iOS 14 within a month of its release, which would have lined up with those in-store pickups. Definitely a lot of people adopted iOS 14, especially when it was released, down to the fact about customizability and theming. I think that's what people saw the most and made mm -hmm. an update. The Apple sees these unprecedented numbers every time they release an operating system. These adoption rates are, are just out of this world, something the industry's never seen before. Um, you know, at least prior to the introduction of the iPhone, every time a different version of iOS is released, whether people are motivated by silly things like emojis or icon customization or whatever, they're always, they always have the latest security updates, uh, the latest features, and Apple is supporting more devices now than ever before. You have iOS 14, which still supports devices dating back to the iPhone 6S. It's, that's definitely the case. I always like to hear what the average consumer uses when it comes to tech, because I'm sitting here with my uh, laptop and uh, iMac still on Catalina because of some programs I'm running. Very interesting for me to see that people are adopting that quickly. It's, I have to remember that there are, that people use computers differently. This is interesting. Yeah, and I want to get more into your use cases as we go through today's stories. But before we get right into it, that's our breaking news story of today. I want to give the viewers a chance to get in touch with both of you. And I want to swing over to Anton. Anton, tell us a little bit about yourself. What Apple products do you use primarily day to day? What's your daily driver? What do you what, what do you like yeah. using the most? So I'm currently daily driving an iPhone XS 512 gigabytes, and that device is amazing performance wise. It's still a really great phone, and I'll definitely be planning to keep that for as long as I can. I've also got a Apple Watch Series 6 44mm in the blue aluminum, which I also picked up after launch, and that device is outstanding, especially coming from a Series 0, so the original Apple Watch. The features and what they've done since then is um, incredible. I've also got an iPad 6, which I use just daily for mostly content consumption, and I also have a MacBook Pro from 2018 and recently just picked up a pair of AirPods Pro. Excellent, so you're you're hardcore into the Apple ecosystem. I love that. 
those are the kind of people we like to have on the podcast. Let us know, tell us a little bit about what you do, particularly at Appleosophy. I hear you're working on a very exciting project. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely. So I'm currently working on iPad Pro 2021 renders with myself and the team. This will be based off the recent CAD images that were leaked online. So myself have been working on them for a very long time and we're really excited to showcase what we have in store. Basically the iPad Pro 2021 render that we've designed is pretty much the same design as last generation but we have a new camera system from the iPhone 12 Pro and the inclusion of 5G. At the moment we have the teaser images online which you can find at appleosophy.com. These are sort of a sneak preview of what is to come very shortly. Excellent, I'm looking forward to that. You know, head, on, head down over to appleosophy.com, take a look at the teaser. We have more coming soon. We're going to have a whole video. Uh, we even have a, a special uh, product red version that we're previewing. Really excited for that as well. I'm going to turn it over to George. George, tell us a little bit about what you do and your favorite Apple product. Why is it your favorite? Thank you. Well, my name is George Elias. I'm a working filmmaker based here in Southern California, and Basically, if you're working in this industry, you're working with a Mac. Um, are you using Apple software? Depends, but post houses that I work with do actually use Final Cut. So it's it's just a natural state for me to be using Final Cut. I've been using it since 10.0.3, which is back in 2012. Wow. A lot of a lot of changes and a lot of iterations have come to the industry since then. But it's <laughs> in the right direction, thank God. So that's your opinion. Is it is going in the right direction? Oh, absolutely. Especially with um, especially with the M1 chip. It is Final Cut is is the fastest editing suite out there, period. I've used everyone's favorite Premiere Pro. I've used DaVinci Resolve's uh, suite. I've used, even I've used a little bit of the Avid, which is what you use to cut Hollywood films. But far and away, the, the speed and clarity that you can get from Final Cut is just unprecedented. So you're dealing with these intensive workflows and you're coming out and saying like, hey, if you want to be competitive in this industry, it's all, all in, all Mac, right? Mm, definitely for the most part. Even software like DaVinci Resolve runs better on a Mac or a Linux PC. It's just simpler to learn learn this system, learn the intricacies. I know there's a lot of VFX houses that do use like the After Effects and Blender and 3D rendering software, but even, even on the Mac, you just get much lower level access to the hardware. You could have a computer that has a thousand horsepower and only 200 at the wheel, whereas on a Mac, prior to the M1 chips, you would maybe get one that 500 horsepower, but you'd be able to access all 500 horsepower of it in the software. I don't know if that's getting exactly. too technical or not. No, but that's a good way of explaining it, visualizing a car. So break this down for people. So if, if I came into your house right now, you're, you literally live a block away, so I could very well do this. Watch out. <laughs> if I came into your house right now and I said, George, you got to get rid of all your Apple products. You can keep one. Which one do you keep? I'm going to be keeping my iMac G5 from 2006. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> more of a collector we still have that one because a lot of my uh a lot of uh audio plugins haven't been uh excuse me not audio plugins audio interfaces haven't been updated to anything newer than snow leopards so we still keep or excuse me leopard so we keep that around sure but if i were to keep one apple product in my house just for the sake of getting work done i would have to say my imac from 2017 my 27 inch 
It's a beast. Okay, so this is a perfect question for you. I have a viewer question here, and I think this is totally George's question. <laughs> so we have a question from d.dugan underscore 10 on Instagram, and he sent us a DM, and he said, Hi, I'm a student who's studying product design, photography, and business. And he's saying, do you recommend iPad Pro 2021, so the upcoming iPad, or a current gen M1 MacBook Pro. Oh, I have a few things. I have a few things to add to this, but I want to know your take. See, I've never used an iPad for professional work. I'm not saying you can't do it with it. I've just never had the privilege of utilizing one. So the newest iPad in my house is an iPad Air. So it doesn't have a lot of the features or support or even software availability that the new iPad Pros have. So, oh man. I don't know if I'm qualified to recommend. Could I jump in and answer that question? Absolutely. Sure. I think for the cases that he's going to be using it for, a MacBook Pro would probably be more suitable to him because more of just the power and the versatility of it compared to an iPad, you can run more professional software that's more intensive than an iPad. In my opinion, I always find myself bringing my MacBook around more than my iPad because of what I can do on it. Yeah, that's an important takeaway, Anton, because... I find the iPad to be extremely versatile. People like to talk about its limitations as far as a file system, uh, you know, emulation, things like that. And I agree with that entirely. That's why I have it. I think the iPad is incredibly versatile because it is just this, you know, this painted glass that you can kind of turn it into anything you want it to be, right? That's pretty, that's where the magic of iPad really, really, really shines. But particularly in education, um, what I've seen is, and if you're talking college education, engineering classes is kind of where it starts to get scary because they want you to use Windows. Nobody in engineering works on Mac. Not that I know. <laughs> Not the mass amount of people. Um, and so a lot of my friends that took the engineering route um, had to either run Windows on a Mac or just end up getting a Windows computer. In terms of creativity, I, I think the, the iPad Pro will allow you to do more things with your hands. So if you like painting you know, using a stylus, things like that, actually hitting the ground and working from the way, ground up, that's, that's more of designing, sketching. That's more of that aspect, right? If you're a graphic designer and you're more about adding elements, vector images, stuff, it, that's a toss-up. That's a toss-up because both the iPad Pro and the MacBook work, would work really, really well. However, I think with the latest M1 Macs, you might be able to fit in uh, a lot more elements uh, into your your design on an M1 Mac. But where I see this going is, you know, people like to say iPad is built for education. And that's great because you can take notes on it with the Apple Pencil. You can record your classes, things like that. If I were to give a definitive answer, I would say MacBook Pro because MacBook Pro is going to allow you to emulate anything that you need, run all of the legacy software that's going to help you remain competitive in the industry. And the iPad is kind of like a companion to that. The iPad is, hey, let me hand off this file from my Mac to my iPad so that I can hand draw a sketch into my design. That's how I see the iPad. That's not to say that you can't get by with a lot, but if you're talking graphic design and photography, you're going to be working in Photoshop. There's a 100% chance that your professor is going to be teaching you these things in Photoshop. And the version of Photoshop that we have on iPad right now uh, frankly, it's watered down, and I'm mm. sure both of you would agree. I think there's two sides to this case where he can use an iPad or not. I think I've found myself Photoshop when I got my iPad. I installed it, and I thought, 
WoW is going to be fully packed. And was very disappointed in what I could find. Even though it does have mouse and keyboard support, it just didn't have the full suite of tools that I needed. And that's where I found myself going back to my Mac and actually using Sidecar on my iPad because I did like having the touchscreen as well. The features on iPad, though they are very strong, and I know it's for the education market, for my needs and what I use it for, there's not really too much that I can use. Yeah, I feel like there's certain things about an iPad that are more delightful to use email for instance you're, you're tapping the messages with your fingers you're pinching in and out of files and documents that experience is a whole lot better than email on, you know on a computer where you're just scrolling and it's two fingers right clicks all over the place you're trying to gesture and, and swipe to flag things it just doesn't feel as natural as you know holding a document or holding a message in your hand and pinching around and so ipad has this intuitive aspect where it transcends some of the shortcomings of a trackpad and the keyboard alone. Um, and that's what I like about iPad, but I still think capability wise, a lot of people are saying I have to go back to the Mac because the iPad can't do this. I think that remains clear that iPad is still a companion device to the Mac. What are your thoughts on that, George? And here I am with my keyboard shortcuts, just breezing through a thousand emails in two hours. Wow. Um, the I am really surprised that you recommended the MacBook Pro because that was going to be that was going to be my carte blanche first choice. I wasn't even going to consider the iPad, but then I, I <laughs> ser no seriously because like I have never used it, and I know a lot of people who do great work, but. One of the things I noticed when, so in 2017, I upgraded from a 13-inch MacBook Pro to a 27-inch iMac. I had that, uh, I had that MacBook Pro since 2011. So for okay. nearly six years, I had been working off of the same machine. And then when I got to the 27-inch iMac, it just felt like, it, it felt like I wasn't cramped. It felt like I could just be creative for creative sake and yes i did learn the technical i'm hyper technical but i could just expand my creativity with it because the not only was the performance there but the interface and the just the ui i i personally feel more at home on a desktop class interface and operating system than i do on something like ipad os they've done a lot of good work on it but there's still so, so a couple things like the file manager that I think honestly that's the biggest one right there is the file manager and just the UI of a lot of the apps. Personally, I would recommend that you go with the 13-inch MacBook Pro M1 chip. Uh, make sure you get 16 gigs of RAM because you you <laughs> no I'm serious about that. You never know what type of workloads you're going to be needing, and if you're going to be keeping this computer for your whole career at uni get the 16 gigs of RAM because you don't know what your workload is going to require come 2024. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, I, I think Apple's intention with the very first iPad was let, let's take some of the things that an iPhone does much better than a Mac does and bring it to a large screen display. <laughs> and, and that still remains the case for me. I use my iPad Pro for serious work more than I use my MacBook. Oh. But for those niche sort of instances where I need a pro app, I need, you know, Logic or Final Cut or whatever I'm doing, I, I always reach back for the Mac. And so it's one of those things that remains uh, a, a significant member of my tech arsenal. Anton, where does the iPad find a place in your life? What would you say about that? 
for me, definitely, I think the iPad in my life, it's definitely more of a secondary device. It's not saying that I'd use on a, I mean, I do use it commonly, but it's not really a, the tool that I would use for like my graphic designing and render designs because it just doesn't have the necessary software that I need. I think the Mac has mm-hmm. more freedom in that department, but I usually find myself using the iPad for especially just more just eBooks, um, content consumption. And I think just a few applications, which do find it easier on iPad. I think that's used in my most case. It's really just, I think for me, I'm more of a person that's desktop wise. Like I do like yeah. Mac OS. I love it. And I think carrying my MacBook around is really easy, really convenient. And the freedom on that software is just outstanding for me. And I think more of the iPad extension on your iPhone, it's, a tool that you can use anywhere. It's really fast, really light. And I think more for me, it's more just content consumption. You know, and, and app, iPad OS, that's good that you say that because iPad OS is still primarily, you know, very much a closed system. Your, your ceiling is very high with the Mac because you can run whatever kind of applications you'd like. There's, there's, if whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to figure out a way to do it. Um, we have people out there that rely on, on Linux. And we saw just this week, there's a new Linux distro that works on M1 Mac. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and I know, uh, George, you're a Linux geek. What, what does that mean for you? <laughs> I, I, was, I was itching when you said that. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I absolutely love Linux. So I consider myself like the forgotten Apple child. It's I I love macOS, but I've looked to the I don't even want to call it the dark side, but just the the open <laughs> the open world that is Linux and Unix like systems. Um, the fact that you can run don't I don't know what distro it is, but if what you're telling me is accurate and true, and I know it is because I know you, um, I <laughs> I am beyond excited to see this because then that means a lot of developer tools are going to be running on the. Um, a lot of developer tools can run on the M1 chip without having to virtualize, meaning that in another operating system, you could be getting the same benefits of having the M1 chips. And kind of going back to what Anton was saying about how like there are aspects of the iPad that he likes, I think that's the whole point of the M1 chips, just kind of tangenting off a little bit is you're taking mm-hmm. that instant startup, you're taking the ridiculous battery life, you're taking the uh, secure enclave, you're taking all of these things and you're putting it on the Mac. So just the fact that we can see Linux popping up on it, I'm just, it, it makes my little coder heart happy. Uh, thanks to Corellium, it's now possible to run Ubuntu on a on a M1 Mac. Oh, they went That's with, really oh, they went with Ubuntu. That's really good. That's yeah. like, it's very, very robust. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's really exciting. You know, the versatility of a Mac is really illustrated by that comment that you just made. Apple took with the M1 chip and Apple Silicon particularly coming to the Macs, Apple took what made iPads special and brought that to the Mac. And when you bring that to a system that's already so versatile, like the Macintosh, it elevates that product to a whole new level. Could I pose a question? Do you think we could see macOS in the future on an iPad? I find it a potential because I think the power of M1, and I think if they could incorporate that in an iPad, would be amazing. I think there'll be a lot more market share in that area that people want a touchscreen Mac and it's really portable. What do you guys think on that? 
I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see what Apple's version of the Microsoft Surface would look like. Yeah. Um, is iPadOS heading, into, heading in a direction where it's more macOS-like? Certainly. Is macOS heading in a direction where it's more iPadOS-like? Definitely. And so is there a point in Apple's future, maybe within this next decade, where they sort of converge into Apple OS or something like that? You know, how does, what role does Apple Glass play in that? Those are all really important questions. I don't necessarily think that they're going to be merging the operating systems anytime soon. Just because, like, the magic of the iPad, this is a kind of a trend um, back in the 50s, there used to be a car, it was called the Amphibious Vehicle. It was a car that had an outboard motor, it had uh, weather sealing, it was. It could turn into a boat. So you could literally drive into a lake and then just start, you know, I was boating. I was, that's such a stupid word, boating around. Um, <laughs> boating around. <laughs> boating around. <laughs> so it, but when it was on land, it drove like a boat. But when it was in the water, it, it swam I'm about to say a boat swims. That's uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, good morning, everyone. I haven't had coffee good, yet. Good morning. <laughs> but um, Jim Cook style. Good morning. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was like a car in water. So you mm-hmm. don't, you're not able to make something so unique and so powerful by trying to merge both um by merging both user bases or even like experiences and the user interface so will we get more desktop class features on the ipad absolutely will we get more ipad features on the uh, mac os oh my gosh just look at big sur look at uh look at the what is it what is this called the control center where the display and like the buttons and everything it looks like it was ripped directly from an ipad um yes but is it going to are they going to merge perfectly honestly i i would be really surprised i love big sur i know this is divisive but i love the design of big sur and i hope it makes its way to the ipad and the iphone I learned to love it. I learned to love it after about like 48 hours of using it. Isn't that the story of everything Apple though? Yeah. Honestly though, yeah. <laughs> you don't like it at first. It's a little drastic. Like kind of look like when they remove your headphone jacks. Okay. I'm still salty about that one. I'm still salty <laughs> about those two. I'm, I actually didn't care about the headphone jack going because I actually never used it often. I had AirPods back when that happened. So it didn't really affect me. And even though I, I wasn't too fussed. Obviously, the whole tech community was, and I had to go with it. But I think for me, it wasn't a huge deal not missing it. I know a lot of people did, but for me, it wasn't really. Oh, oh man. Man, oh, man, oh, man. And that's a whole, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> Brom, knows my, Brom knows my 1 a.m. rants about Apple removing software support and hardware support. Many, many, many nights, George. <laughs> but it's time to talk about our old friends at Intel. Oof. Oof, I love, I'm excited about this story. <laughs> so Intel appointed a new CEO, Pat Gelsinger, today, and he's calling Apple a lifestyle company. He says, quote, <laughs> we have to deliver better products to the PC ecosystem than any possible thing that a lifestyle company in Cupertino makes. Now, I'd like to start off by saying that this is, this is Intel's third CEO in three years. They've been making this annual tradition of appointing a new CEO every year. And they're throwing their first punch on the playground 
by calling Apple a lifestyle brand. I guess that could be true for something like the Apple Watch. A little bit of a fashion statement. You would say one would say that, right? Or the headphones. You know, I didn't buy the headphones for the flex. Okay, George. <laughs> I'm a self-proclaimed audiophile, just like every YouTuber. I, I'm just going to sit here with my audio technicas and just laugh hysterically. <laughs> so, so Apple products are largely a lifestyle in a sense, right? Because you get sucked into the ecosystem. Anton, you're expanding your your Apple ecosystem, your Apple horizon. Yes. What what are your thoughts on this comment? I think um, referring to a lifestyle brand, I think it's yeah, it's true. I know once you sort of have a one product, it just you keep stacking on it. Like your iPhone, your iPhone unlocks your Apple Watch. Your Apple Watch unlocks your MacBook. It it all all links in, and with as well like AirPods automatic switching. It's really everything's tied in beautifully. And I could say it's a lifestyle company. I know wearable device like an Apple Watch, the customizability on that is out of this world. You can get any band for it, whether it's silicon, leather, metal, whatever you can think of, you'll be able to get it. And I think as a lifestyle brand, I think I know where they're coming from as when he's saying that. I think he, he has a point when he says lifestyle brand because it's like a thing you could say, well, I'm in the Apple ecosystem. You wouldn't say I'm in an Intel ecosystem. So I think he has a point where he's saying as that they're a lifestyle company. I think I do agree on what he's saying with that one. So you understand where he's coming from. Now I can't decide. So the, the full quote, he says, we have to be that good in referring he's referring to Apple. We have to be that good. Apple good in the future. We have to be, that good is what he's saying. We have to be that good in the future. Oh, okay. Let me redo this part. The person who leaked this information <laughs> no, is uh, no longer alive, I'm sure. I think yeah. what he means by that, we have to be that good in the future. I think maybe he's referring to maybe Intel possibly getting into that ecosystem game. Maybe instead of doing PC, maybe doing also mobiles. I think that's maybe what he's discussing. Yeah, so let me read this quote again. So it says... We have to deliver better products to the PC ecosystem than any possible thing that a lifestyle company in Cupertino makes. We have to be that good in the future. So is this kind of complimenting Apple or like, do they want, do they want an Intel ecosystem an Intel lifestyle to develop? And they attacking it kind of maybe, sounds like a backhanded compliment. It really do does. attacking M1. And because it says obviously deliver better products to the PC ecosystem, maybe they're trying to say that they have to be if or better than M1 or as good as they can get close to it. Hmm. What's your takeaway, George? Um, first off, I am just laughing, laughing so hard at this because, <laughs> like, like Intel, they've had opportunities to fix everything, but they're stuck on. Uh, they're, they're stuck on a certain process architecture, and it's absolutely ridiculous. They've been on it since 2016, and now they're complaining that, oh, because they, they couldn't, uh, they lost their largest customer, <laughs> they lost their largest yeah. customer, and now they're <laughs> like, oh, we have, to, uh, we have to beat them. Really, guys, you had almost 20 years of partnership 
and you weren't able to, excuse me, 15 year partnership, and you weren't able to do something incredible then, what are you going to do now, now that you don't have their resources? Um, it's it's funny, I always think of whenever, when Apple released the M1 chips, or when they announced that they were going to be going to um, Apple Silicon, I just imagined that one cut scene in, uh, I think it's Avengers 2, when, uh, when Thanos comes out with the Infinity Gauntlet and says, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's totally Apple having that Thanos moment. Honestly, though, if if Tim Cook had access to the Infinity Gauntlet, I, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> in in one snap of the finger, all Windows PCs would turn to dust. I don't think they would even turn to. Du- <laughs> I don't think they would even turn to dust. I think they would just like just stop working, and then a big screen, uh, like a big flashing light, says, uh, "Go purchase an M1 chip. Go purchase an M1 chip. <laughs> Software not supported." Happens to have to. They have to overheat because that's something that Intel does. Ah, uh, yes. They always get too hot. Yes. You can't forget that. Oh my goodness, I'm I'm sitting here. Uh, so this is going to go a little bit into the weeds, but it's going to make sense in the in the tying in process of it. So the um, when I'm working on a lot of my footage, sometimes my um, iMac will um, will thermal throttle. It will reduce its speed so that it can it can survive. Turns out, if you trick the fans into going into full blast, it won't thermal throttle. It's like a it's a weird it's a weird quirk of macOS where it, the temperature is not necessarily tied to the thermometer; it's tied to the fan speed. So. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so I can reverse the thermal throttling, but then my computer sounds like it's going to take off and fly away from me. And what I love about Mac is that they're not just a, a laptop or a desktop. They're also a spaceship and a space heater in one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a hot plate. <laughs> At least <laughs> Intel ones. I'm I'm really excited to be getting an M1 chip soon. Yeah, I was on a two-hour Zoom call the other day on my M1 MacBook Pro, and I felt the bottom of it afterwards, and it, and it was less than lukewarm. It was, it's pretty amazing. So what do you, how do you uh, rate the M1 chips as a hot plate? Because that's one of the things that's very important for me. It, it, that egg will stay. Ah, darn it. If you try it. I'm going to have to cook it on the G5. Yeah, there you go. And, and the G5 is complete with a flat top design. So you can even use your, your, your copper pans with it. That's Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I understand Intel is facing uh, competition, not only from Apple, but from AMD and Qualcomm. What can you tell us about that? Jordan? Oh, my good. Yeah, you, you talked to the Linux guy about this kind of stuff. Oh, my gosh. I am so, <laughs> so excited that finally there's competition in the CPU space because AMD, basically the only processors that can compete against Apple's M1 chips right now are from AMD. And yeah. It's not the lower end stuff, it is the higher end stuff, but the fact that they can still give the M1 chips a run for their money says a lot. It is, this whole situation with Intel can basically come down to one factor, lack of competition and a lack of motivation. Because for almost a solid, solid eight years, ever since like the first i-series came out, the i3, 5, and 7, no other processor um, architecture could touch the speed of um, Intel. They were the king of the. They were the king of the hill. Uh, they were selling propane and propane accessories, and they they were just they were just the best. If you were building a PC, you were going with Intel. If you were buying a Mac, you got Intel. They had Thunderbolt. They had 
faster memory. They had all of these things going for them. And then about, correct me if I'm wrong, Brom, uh, 2016-17, it was kind of like they plateaued. It wasn't like today, but it was like, That's... yeah, okay, they slowed down a little bit, but they're going to kill it in the next one, right? That's accurate, yes. About 2015-2016 is when we started scratching our heads. What direction is Intel taking things? And then, like, uh, AMD Ryzen was announced, I believe, 2017, and it didn't have the horses at the time. It was it was like a pipe dream in AMD's uh, future. But Intel was like, yeah, sure, cool. We'll just crank out more of the same CPU. We've got no competition. Then 2018 rolls along, and we're like, what is this? This is, like, released uh, from last year. You know, remind me never to play football with Pat Gelsinger because it seems like Intel has a history of dropping. Oh, 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 oh. he was burned almost as bad as his processors. Oh, oh. <laughs> he was burned almost as bad as an Intel. Oh. <laughs> the heat came coming. <laughs> Not like his processors, though. The, the, the roast of Intel. We, we, we love to pile on Intel. But we do have more stories. Me, meanwhile, the there's of Verizon that's thread-ripping that, that Intel CPU. <laughs> They're ripping him a new one. <laughs> <laughs> the hits just keep coming. Yes, indeed. On the topic of Apple Silicon, we have Apple still trying to complete this transition. They announced back in WWC 2020 um, that the, the Macs are transitioning to Apple Silicon. They said, we've given this a two-year window, uh, whether it'll be shorter or longer than that. I know George has thoughts yes, on I that, do. but here are some of the products that we expect to be in the pipeline. And this is coming from uh, both Mark Gurman and Ming-Chin Kuo, who collaborated. iMac 2021 transitioning to Apple Silicon this year. And this is a product that's long overdue for an upgrade just in terms of design. Uh, 2012 was the last time we saw a design change. And that's where we got the, the curved, thin, taper edge design. Other than that, we haven't seen a, a major design shift for an iMac since, I mean, since the last decade. For the last decade, the iMacs remain largely the same. That ginormous chin, those crazy thick borders, it just kind of looks out of date. Minchi Ko is saying that Apple is going to release a 24-inch iMac to replace the current 21.5-inch model. And it'll have a design similar to the Pro Display XDR. It'll look like a giant iPad with that classic Mac Pro cheese grater back. Thoughts on this? Is this the next Pro device? I think it could be up there. I think with the, the right design, that'll obviously be very attractive to consumers, but I think the right processor as well will be, I think, really good. I think we could probably see, in my opinion, maybe two versions of this. We've got obviously the iMac, but as well maybe an, a new iMac Pro that sort of has maybe those features of, say, souped-up M processor. Probably could see that in the future. I'm just I'm just excited that finally this power is coming to the desktop. I'm you 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 were describing the iMac with its like massive chin and its thick bezels and I'm looking at my computer and I'm like don't listen to them Jervis you're beautiful. Um <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar George names his Apple products after Avengers. Uh specifically okay uh yes specifically the computers are named after Iron Man operating systems my cameras are named after Iron Man suits and then my servers are named after either X-Men or characters from the movie robots. So here's a question for you, George. If you do end up upgrading that iMac this year, and it does come with the rumored 
mini LED display. Mm -hmm. That's clearer, clearer display, vision, sort of going with the eye theme here. Does Jarvis become vision? Uh, you know, I actually, I didn't think about that. I have to include him into the, the, the process. <laughs> there's, food, there's food for That's thought. That's definitely right food for thought. I'm going to sit down and eat a big bowl of it after this. What are your thoughts on the new iMac, Anton? What we've seen, I think it's really impressive. And I think it's about time. It did take a long time for redesign to come. I think it was very long overdue. And I think I've got an iMac at home. I do find myself using it. Very often, I think because that screen size and having a Mac on a screen that big, it's really handy having that space. And I think it's about time they bring some professional sort of grade. I think we could see maybe two versions, a pro and a just a consumer version of the new iMac. And I think this design has been well overdue. I think having M1 on an iMac would be, or not just M1, but the M in general, would be amazing. And I think a lot of consumers will find that a really big upgrade. Like even ones that are not tech savvy will find this as a huge step in the right direction for personal computing i think for families they'll find it really really attractive not just the design but also the speed and the way that computer it handles itself i couldn't agree more i think i think apple understands that this is the imac is the go-to for the ultimate all-in-one and they take changing it very seriously because of its prominence in the industry um you know, on the topic of Apple Silicon Macs that are in the pipeline for this year, we also have a MacBook Pro. And Ming-Chin Ko is saying that there's going to be 14 and 16. It's going to look like two iPad Pros taped together, all nice and squared off with that industrial design, that design language. And it's going to remedy some of the shortcomings of the current M1 Macs with a larger SSD, uh, two terabytes is the limit right now. It could be up to four terabytes double in this model. Um, extra unified memory. We could see a 32 or even a 64 uh, gigabyte option. W would this be something that you would consider buying, yes. George? Like without question, like that, that right there is what I'm waiting for. I, I remember talking to you about getting a MacBook Pro all going all the way back to 2016. And I, oh, yeah, right. I, and I've never been a fan of the, haha, excuse the pun, uh, a fan of the uh, 2016 redesign. Um, I, yes, I love the fact that it has Thunderbolt 3 ports. Yes, I actually don't hate the touch bar as much as um, I initially thought when I, I, when I saw it on the uh, keynote, but I just, oh, man, it, did they just, they just took away too much of it for it to be a like a pro computer. Like when I was when I was talking to you about the time about the um, professional grade computers need to be reliable. They need to have some decent ports. They need to have uh, they need to have the performance in sustained workloads, not just like opening the browsers 15 microseconds faster. No, I want to be able to render something on an airplane before I get to one of, before I get to my destination. Um, that was going to be the 2019 MacBook Pro for me, the, uh, the 16 inch re, uh, the 16 inch release and redesign, but the fact that it's coming to, or M1 is coming to the 16 inch, I'm just like, uh, like Philip J. Fry, shut up and take my money. <laughs> well, you may be in luck, George, because it sounds like Apple's got a lot of big things in store. They may be removing the touch bar entirely. So you'll get your function key. SD card, SD card, please SD card, please hearing, SD card. We're also hearing the return 
of IO ports like the SD card and HDMI. Yes! Thank you! See, I told you! I told you that they needed those. And MagSafe. I think it's coming back, which I'm pretty excited And MagSafe. For. That's an important one uh, to, to discuss, Anton. I'm glad you brought that up. So I have an odd relationship with MagSafe because I love the convenience of MagSafe, but I, I, don't, I don't like that when they brought it to the iPhone, it wasn't exactly, they kind of just used the marketing name and the, the good, happy, warm feelings that you get when you hear the word MagSafe. They used that to make me want MagSafe on the iPhone. And then when I got it, there was nothing safe about it. It's convenient, but if I hit the cord, my iPhone's still gonna go flying. The idea of MagSafe and the reason why it's supposed to be quote safe is that if you hit the cord, the cord will come off instead of your Mac. I think it's going, more of you know, a marketing off the table. idea that MagSafe because it's yeah, not it's really, totally a marketing. It's term. not like a Mac Mac MagSafe, which was really reliable. It was powerful. It's more of a way to just use the name because obviously it's using magnets and they think it's safe because it attaches as to them strong. I think it's more of a marketing gimmick to get people back on and using that. MagSafe product. You know, it sounds like it's interesting because some of the rumors that we're hearing as far as the new MacBooks for this year, it sounds like Apple's backtracking. They're bringing back the old keyboards. It's a refined mechanism that is based on the old chiclet style keyboards. So we have that in the works. We have the return of legacy IO input and output like HDMI, SD card slots. We have the return of MagSafe from pre-2016 MacBook Pros. So it kind of sounds like the last, you know, four or five years have kind of been a mistake for Apple. It's kind of like they're admitting that. That is something I never I would touch have expected had to be one of them. Because I the fact that, my MacBook yeah. Pro, I purposely did not buy the touch bar and I instead went to spec it out. So mine was about $3,000 in Australia and I went more specs than touch bar. I didn't get the touch bar model. I went purely for specs. And I think it's more of a gimmick of touch bar than its actual use factor. In my opinion, I think the function keys have a really good place in my heart. I love them. I think a lot of people do love them, but the touch bar, just the feature set that it had was not up to the standard that people thought it was. And it didn't have much adoption, especially nowadays. There's not much you can do on it besides scrubbing a video. That, that's the thing. My take on the touch bar, I agree with you in a sense, Anton, because the, this theme that we see with Apple is they'll introduce a technology that's that's many times ahead of its time and you'll see them refine this technology expand its use case over time that's not something that we're that that formula isn't something that we saw with the touch bar you know five years later there's not much more you could do with it than you could on day one and so i don't think the the touch bar rose to the occasion for me does it belong in the uh in the apple Cemetery Echo. along with Mobile Me, uh, iTunes Ping. I don't know. What do you think, George? <laughs> Air power. Oh man. Uh, honestly, the more I think about it, just because like I'm I'm big on custom interfaces. I've programmed so many of those over the past few uh, past two years. I it's a shame to see that the touch bar dies. It's it's a shame to see it. In my opinion, just because like it's a really cool functionality that you could bring from computer to computer. It's just that if no, you have to hit that critical mass. If no one supports it, then no one's going to support it. And if no one's going to support it, then no one supports it. So it's this chicken and egg thing where you have to get, you have to get enough people to use it 
but everyone is just no. Give me back the, I think we've uh, seen that the, downward, the function sorry, keys. Bram, do you want to go? I think we've it's, seen I think it's past what... years a downward trend in oh, the no, touch because there's not really much references when they release, say, macOS Big Sur or Catalina. They didn't really mention any new features coming to touch bar. And I think we could tell that their downward um, spiral was happening because it wasn't really getting mentioned. A lot of applications don't support it or don't need to support it because there's really not much to do on it. There's no point. It's one of those things that's a great demo. And then over time, you, you just kind of ask, well, why is this here? I want my function keys back. I want, in fact, they brought one of them. They brought the escape key back because it, it was bugging people so much that that was software based. That right there, as someone who deals with a lot of um, programs that don't like to listen, just having an, a physical escape key, just looking at it, it's like, she, oh, well, finally, bring all the they did back. bring it back. Silly things like that feel feel game changing because you've been denied well, all well, that for so long. What do you say, Anton? All the keys back. It's probably pretty easy to do that. Uh, basically at this point, I'm just excited. Like, this is going to sound really stupid, but I'm really excited for the inclusion of the SD card. Like that is so helpful. So useful. I don't have to carry around a stupid adapter to offload media from one of my cameras. It's not even, it's not even just photography, dude. SD cards are huge in the audio industry and Apple as someone who, you know, I, I know a lot of people who mix and master in the industry everyone uses Macs. They either use Mac Pros, be it the trash can or the cheese grater. They use it. Oh my gosh, the Mac Pro has such a horrible branding, like naming scheme. It's like the, the, you have the trash can or the cheese grater. I know some people who have a stack of Mac minis and they just hooked up Thunderbolt ports to each other so that they can share their processing power. Um, Apple is the industry standard when it comes to audio mixing. And I'm it, every single audio recorder, every single firmware plugin, everything uses SD cards in that industry. So it's not just for it's not just for photographers. It's for um, audio people. It's for video people. It's for visual effects houses because uh, SD cards. If you get the tough cards, those things are like really really durable. Um, it's it is a professional at this point. I don't care what anyone else says. I know XQD and CFast cards are a thing, but like. I'm willing to say that CFA, uh, excuse me, SD cards are a professional standard, and for it to be on a professional pro machine is, you know, is such a good step in the right direction. It's kind of like it's kind of like uh, in 2016 they were moving forward, but they weren't moving in the right direction. So now it's kind of like they're it, it may appear that they're going backwards, but they're actually going forward in the, the proper actual, direction. So the current design. There is potential room for an SD card slot because I'm looking at my MacBook Pro now and the, there is room physically. I'm holding an SD card and obviously there is space. Just the question is, does Apple want to go forward with putting an SD card on their Macs like they used to? I hope they do. I really hope they do. From trash can to cheese grater, Apple may be, is there a Apple may be saying, I can't innovate anymore my ass once again <laughs> because Mac Pro... Mac Pro Mini may be on the way this year, uh, giving users a taste of the Mac Pro power for a more affordable price. This is something akin to the G4 Cube that we saw back in the day. I think this, this will be a smaller, less than half the size Mac Mini, of the Mac Pro Mac Mini Pro. because the, the price was a long the overdue. Yeah, a bit this high. is speculated. I mean, just speculation. $10,000 starting price. 
<laughs> it's yeah, so ten grand in Australia, so it's very expensive. And I think it's not really attractive. Like everywhere I've been, I've never seen a Mac Pro. And even all the Apple stores in my state, there's no Mac Pros because obviously there's no demand for it. I think down under, I think they really should do a mini version that's one more affordable and be, I think, more attractive to the user base. Having maybe an M processor in there would be really good because obviously the roasting chips aren't compatible anymore. I don't think they're going to they're gonna be on their way out. So I think having a more affordable Mac as Pro as well at the same time would be very good to the market. I think because the price tag of the Mac Pro is just too high to justify for some people and they still want to have that maybe two grand, maybe one sort of Mac device that's still very powerful, but in the price range that they can afford it and then maybe go out and spec it up still instead of having a base model that costs so much. You know, that's an important takeaway and when we think about Apple Silicon, one of the one of the shortcomings that stands out to me right now, just with what we've seen with the M1, is graphics. Uh, the 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro still has a leg up on the M1s in terms of dedicated graphics. So how does Apple integrate that into something like uh, a smaller Mac Pro? Um, do you do you just up the amount of you know integrated graphics? Do you layer a bunch of M1s or M1Xs, whatever they end up calling them, on top of each other and sell them like sticks, like how we used to do memory sticks and just stick those into slots on a big tower? I could see a dedicated GPU going in the Mac Mini, sorry, Mac Pro Mini, and even a Mac Pro. I think that there could be two versions where the user can decide do they want integrated graphics or go for the dedicated. So I could see if the size is about the same size as the Mac Pro width wise. And I, th- I think, obviously, length will be shorter, but I think if it's got that same size, and I could see a dedicated GPU going in there, possibly from AMD. I think they could do a good collaboration on maybe integrating it onto the, the M chip or even having a separate board. I could see a dedicated GPU on a Mac Pro. That's my opinion. We're forgetting something. Oh, sorry. Where do you see this going? Uh, we're forgetting something card? guys we they apple already released a dedicated gpu it's the afterburner card um i personally think that the afterburner card is going to be uh it's going to have more functions built into it and that that similar um that similar architecture is going to make it into something like a mac pro mini this year is going to hurt my wallet so much with apple i'm just going to be like the the Mac Pro and the uh, MacBook Pro are the two things that I'm really looking forward to. That's huge. That's huge when you talk about the afterburner card. Um, I actually had that here on the list of things I was about to mention. Explain the afterburner card to the layperson who maybe doesn't work with these pro workflows and how that could be adapted for Apple Silicon. I think if I can touch on here, I think the afterburner card, it's... It's very limited in its sense because I know I was watching a few videos when it came out and they were basically saying that it's more for like a give it a push or a boost. So it's not really at its full potential yet. And I think Apple, I think Apple can rectify that and make it an actual GPU. Linus Tech Tips said in his Mac Pro review that it's not really a GPU. It doesn't have that potential yet. It's more of a give me a boost and get the job done. And it helps, I think it's Apple Pro Raw or something, that it wasn't Apple only because MKBHD said it didn't do red. It didn't do certain things that he needed. And I think it was very 
at the time Apple directed. I think if Apple can change mm-hmm. either the software or the hardware to make it more of a GPU, I could see it being a very, very powerful. So the important takeaway here is you're describing the Afterburner card like a stepping stone, a stool that helps you reach that upper shelf yes, where you need so to process my... this Apple Pro raw footage, right? And this is more of the Afterburner card's more of a... Yeah, a step up or a boost to the processing power of your current GPU. I think it, it was more of a a niche tool that assisted workloads. I think it made it a bit more efficient from what I could what I heard. Obviously, I haven't tried it myself to see what the difference is, but from what I know, it did specialize in more Apple formats and it did help out more in that area. It didn't really do as MKBHD would say and use obviously his red raw footage. It didn't help in that sense. It was actually paperweight they were just using power i think if apple changed the software on it that instead of doing apple only it could be a gp or used for rendering i think i could see a lot of potential coming out of that product and be worth obviously spending that extra money to get an afterburner yeah, well and that's important because when you think of things like that m1 has a dedicated uh, you know machine learning uh, part of the chip that that uses 16 cores to elevate things like ProRAW, rendering that ProRAW footage. So could we see a larger version of that, that modular part of an M1, you know, ex- see that part expanded into something like a memory Honestly, stick I, that I you stick the M1, into a modular Not just M1, but desktop in general, computer. I think the processors, yeah, it's I think we could see it becoming more than just a processor. I think we could see it becoming a GPU as well that's in, maybe a different form, like a memory form or something that's interchangeable between computers. And on Afterburner, I think it's, I think we could see it getting replaced possibly or even redone by the M series. I think if they work on that really hard, I think we could see interchangeable GPUs really easily. Like think of a RAM slot. I think we can just find interchangeable ones that can have more powerful ones for different users. I think if Apple develops it and I think if it, he's programmed correctly, I think he'll pick up really strongly. One of the things I want to talk about as well is the Mac Mini. They're saying the Mac, the Mac Mini could receive an upgrade this year, particularly with 10 gigabit Ethernet support. And this is going to be huge for enterprise server farms, uh, any tech app, tech-based startups. Um, it's going to be a huge thing. I've heard a lot of people saying, I'm waiting to buy. I know, so the Mac Mini was lacking. I, I know the, the Mac Mini or the Mac um, Mini when that came out, the second one. I think that did have 10 gig internet. And I think it was, it would be really handy having 10 gig internet on an M processor. I think because of how fast the M series is, and how fast 10 gig is, I think it's going to be a, a match made in heaven. It's going to be really, really complementary of each other. They're really fast really easy and i think it'll be really supported on mac so george what are your thoughts as far as mac mini, <laughs> oh uh, man you just opened up a can of worms my friend um i am beyond excited into having 10 gig ethernet on the mac mini just because well i don't know at this point anymore because the, the mac pro mini might be a thing but 10 gig networking for those of you who don't know it's basically the fastest connection that you can have to a single hard drive. Think of having one hard drive that you can plug into a like a bajillion different computers all at once and all access the same hard drive. 
that is what 10 gig is with servers and networking. And I myself am a networking nut. I am beyond excited to see this kind of functionality coming to the Mac mini just because it will allow for, it'll allow for faster transfers. It'll allow for, instead of something taking 10 seconds, it's going to take one second to run. Um, it's going to allow for shared working. So it's like two computers can work on the same project at once. It is, it is fantastic. This is, and we were talking about, this will be huge for server farms as far as enterprise goes any app tech-based startups, you know. Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, I'm really curious as to what they're going to be doing with the Mac Mini because there's still some, like, physical interfaces that we need. We need to be able to plug in multiple hard drives at once um, to make the Mac Mini a server. But to connect it to a server, uh, to connect the Mac Mini to a server and then have it do all the hard work while the other computers kind of sit back and watch... I definitely see this becoming something like, um, if you're familiar with a render farm, if you said like a server farm, a render farm is basically a server farm, but just specifically geared toward churning out videos. This is something I could definitely see using in a higher end setting. And I think, I think we can see definitely. 10 becoming to, to M1. Like I just did a quick Google search few... and there's an article about service providers from Apple. Yeah. They're getting logic boards with 10 gig and also M1. So I think it's obviously it's obviously there, just not implemented. And I think having that on the Mac Mini and even just the Mac, it will be really, really substantial to the the market. I think a lot of the server farms, obviously using the M series, it's a massive leap in performance. And having that 10 gig capability will be an added bonus because you have the speed of the M-series processor, but also the 10 gig capability of that Ethernet that can get all this power into it and out of it really quickly. It's, those are very important observations and takeaways. You know, I'm, I'm really excited for the future of Apple Silicon. It just seems like it's getting bigger and better uh, with every day, with every new rumor that we hear. I'm excited. I love M1. Um, it's it's made me fall back in love with the Mac. I feel like we had an on and off again relationship. Intel and Apple were in an abusive relationship. Apple was trying to make the best of what Intel could provide, but Intel wasn't providing anything. So as soon as Apple decided to stand up for herself and say, you know what, I'm done with you. Uh, Intel's like, I'm sorry, please take me back. It was, yeah, it's hard for Apple to work with what they had. It was... Apple's putting a lot of money into what they could do. And it was more of that limitation of Intel. That's where I can relate to in Formula One. You have Renault and Red Bull. In their case, Red Bull had an issue with the engines that Renault was not up to their standard. They didn't have any um, hand in the development. And I think that's the same as Intel and Apple. Apple was throwing so much money into this project of Intel and Mac that Intel was sort of just, they didn't let them cooperate on that project together and make the best come out of it. I think it was Intel was still focusing on PCs and trying to get their PCs and the performance out instead of Apple. I think it was more that Apple could not work with Intel. It was not a relationship that should have happened. And I think it was the right time that, that Apple stepped up and said, that's it. We're going to part ways like the power PC and build our own ships. And I think it's proved successful. On the topic of Apple Silicon Macs, we have to visit our old friend Intel once again, sadly, because Intel Macs are still experiencing problems. 
Apple is extending its free repair of 13-inch MacBook Pro models with display backlight issues. Public service announcement, okay? This program covers eligible MacBook Pro models for five years after the first retail sale of the unit or three years from the start date of this program. So this is an existing program. Apple silently extended it for yet another year. And this is for that stage lighting effect that sort of messes with the screen on October 2016 and February 2018 models between those dates. Not on um, my MacBook, actually. Are you guys experiencing any issues in between, like I think it's 2017. So I haven't seen that issue yet. It hasn't arised. I've had my Mac since 2018. So, I mean, I guess we'll have to see what happens. It hasn't happened to me yet. I haven't had any issues with the display. So, it might be that my model is is fine. I think it's more just, um, it depends on how the people store their laptops as well, I think. I think if you have pressure on the display, it looks like to me where the fan or the, the um, outtake is, the, the pattern. So, obviously, obviously people... I think it could be a heat issue when the laptop is obviously closed. So you, so you think it's more of a the, heat issue? The heat can't get out and it's warping the display and the internals behind it. It's And the pressure combined with having your laptop in a bag or stored somewhere combined with the heat just isn't a good combination. And I think that's where the design of the MacBook Pro and the redesign was wrong. If it's an Intel chip, obviously that heat that's produced and because it's really hard to cool a laptop down, especially a Mac with an Intel chip, it's... um. It's a problem that obviously was expected. And I think it's really hard to rectify that issue without the right thermals. And I think that's where the M series obviously does fix that issue. But I think it's down to overheating and pressure combined. Interesting. I think that's that that's an interesting thought. I think it'd be interesting to explore that more in depth. Is this a heat-related issue? Because it doesn't seem like Apple has changed anything hardware-wise, particularly between... Intel and the new M1 models as far as the screen goes. So could it be just a heat issue? Um, that would be interesting to unwrap. I talked to iFixit about that one. <laughs> Yet another public service announcement, though. George, um, do you remember this? With vaguely. The You're going to have to refresh my memory on that one. You know, the cord that wasn't meant to be removed? I remember that. I remember that very well. Yeah, you remember that, Anton? Oh, no. Yeah. So oh, we have a similar case oh, no. with the AirPods Max. Yeah, oh. people are discovering that and you can I mean, remove um, the headman, that the headman is interchangeable on AirPods Max. Yeah. But public service, public yes, service so, announcement, um, don't do I this. Saw, well, do not Jerry do this. Do you want to tell us why, Anton? saying that basically doing this will void your warranty. There is a little sticker. So I did an article on this yesterday. So there is a sticker inside that hole that obviously once you pin it you've broken the seal and obviously users do not know this obviously because the hole is so small it's really hard to get details in there but i think users don't know that and i think obviously the general user will not do that but i think everyone's sort of catching on that this is removable um there was references found in ios 14.4 and i think people think it's removable but at the case at the moment now it's definitely not. And if you do this, you will void your warranty, definitely. Obviously, it depends on what country you're in that your laws apply. So in Australia, we have consumer protection laws, which mean if even if you break your seal, you'll still get protected because of law. But in depending on your state, if you have an issue and you have to send your AirPods Max back without the e-cups, you have to keep the e-cups, you will be facing an issue because you've broken that seal. They will check that to switch it out. Now, this is interesting because... 
venture beats technology analyst Jeremy Horowitz, he took to Twitter to highlight the fact that the sticker on the back of AirPods Max, the one that includes the, the barcode and everything else, actually specifies the color of the headband that ships with your pair of Air, AirPods Max. So this kind of goes in line with the rumors that we heard prior to the release of AirPods Max that the ear cups and headbands would be interchangeable. But the addition of this warranty sticker, um, similar to those those water sensitive stickers we saw early on, like the iPhone four, um, I think that void your moment, warranty. Not this suggests that they're not supposed to be replaced. Yeah, I think there is a potential. So, I just think do you think this, moment, that was in the works for obviously Apple? having that sticker there? There isn't. It wasn't on their radar yet. I think. Maybe they'll have a silent release of a new model, say, come next year or even this year. It might be like a a revision 8 that will have no sticker there, maybe in a different place so you can replace the headbands. Or I think users will be told, that's okay, you can replace it. We understand that you've got proof of purchase of a new headband. I think they can use that because I think at the moment it's either not designed to be interchanged as they thought. That's why the sticker is there. They haven't got that product designed. I think we could see either a new revision or users have been told you're allowed to breach the sticker if you have purchased it and have a proof of purchase to why you've done it. So it's important to take a look. The way that you would do this, the way that you would remove the headband from your very own pair of AirPods Max would be to remove the magnetic ear cup, which is easy enough. And then there's a tiny little hole uh, above those 40 millimeter drivers that you'll see a little, a little pin, a little hole and you can use uh, a SIM card tool or a, a pin or anything that you'd like to, to push that, sort of like a SIM card slot, and then the, the whole headband pops out. I don't know if you can consider that user-friendly. George, do you think these were meant to be interchangeable? Do you think Apple had a It's definitely possible. Um, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, is it meant to be replaced? Right up until no. Can it be replaced? Yeah. I mean, anything can be replaced if you know how to solder. Um, but with with this uh see i don't know dude i think it's a good thing to be able to replace the headband just because you know over time headbands get gummy and disgusting and dirty and you definitely would i personally would like to be able to change out the headbands on some of my older headphones just because like the driver is fine it's just that the faux leather on it is not conducive to anything i would wear in public anymore um as for whether or not Apple was going to be making something in uh, to be user replaceable, um, I I highly doubt that they wanted to make it user replaceable. Did they want to make it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Go for know, it. Can I can I jump in here? I think they would have been better off doing like an Apple Watch band. Oh, you're right. Because the AirPods Max is essentially an Apple Watch on your head. You got the digital crown, the button. If they had that release button there, I think it would have been a user friendly, and it would have been, I think, a feature to replace the headband, interchangeable headbands and ear cups to change the colours. So I think if they had had that button there or that release, it would have been better off for Apple and the consumer. Perfect. I couldn't agree more with that comment. I think if Apple wanted us to be replacing it, they would have added something similar to the Apple Watch uh, band uh, changing mechanism where you press a little button on the back and it pops out i don't see i don't see this this intricate mechanism the, the, the something this way to do it intricate the current way you remove it, a user it's not 
meant to happen. It was discovered as a thing that was supposed to be for service providers and Apple to use. Yeah. So obviously, if they have that Apple Watch release thing, that will be for consumers to use because it's a product that's on Apple Watch that you use every day. So I think at the moment, I think someone just discovered it and I think it wasn't supposed to be discovered as a usable tool. I think it was supposed to be just for repairs. So obviously, this is where if they do AirPods Max 2 or another revision, they can introduce that sliding or even just that Apple Watch button to push it out and release your headband. That's a perfect design mechanism for that. Oh, wow. That's that's genius. So this is interesting because Jeremy Horowitz of VentureBeat doubled down on his Apple finds this week. He also tweeted about AirTags or what we could say could be related to AirTags in a roundabout way. (laughs) He tweeted about specifically wireless power transfer, according to Apple's FCC filings. It says specifically of MagSafe, quote, in addition to being able to be charged by a desktop WPT, wireless power transfer, or a PUC, 2020 iPhone models also support WPT charging function at 360 kilohertz to charge accessories, including an external potential Apple accessory I in the future, being which touched. we're assuming I think if it could if be a magnetic part of it. And Anton, I know I you worked on being this. Attached and even used as an accessory, you can attach your MagSafe, to, sorry, you can attach your AirTag to your iPhone. So if, obviously you got to find my iPhone, but I think the that ability to charge on the go will be really handy. I think having that, and even with other WPT, even if you have an Android, I think being able to reverse charge and charge your AirTag on the go, because unlike Tile, you have to pay to get it replaced. I think having that rechargeable idea will be really handy for the consumer. I think really handy as well for for Apple. I think they can integrate it with MagSafe, maybe have a few features which weren't part of the product. Well, and I want to direct viewers over to AppleOsophy.com to check out an article by our very own Hidu Abu Laban. He collaborated with you, Anton, on this yes. this concept design uh, called Power Drop. And this is what you guys are dubbing it. You guys worked on this together. And I love this because it kind of visualizes what it will be like to maybe charge a device like AirTags in the future. And you guys, you guys drew this up in the whole AutoCAD thing showing what it would be like to drop an AirPods on the back of the phone or AirTag on the back of the phone and it would it would charge them. Here's my question. Does that mean that AirTags are going to be the size of a MagSafe charging pub? Because that's not something I want dangling on my keychain. This magnet array is a proprietary Apple design MagSafe array, meaning if AirTags are going to charge on the back of this thing, they're going to be this huge you know, puck that I I don't think I want to, I want to clip that to things like my keys or a lanyard. That just seems, I think, Oh, I think the, the puck, it just seems cumbersome. It's definitely too big. I think there might be an attachment that will be like a magnetic charging dock. Obviously I'm probably not right, but I think that'll be the case because having a size that big, I don't think will be attractive to many users. They want something that's small and easy to use. I think that's just too big for a, a tracking product. I think they have to release a little attachment or a case to go along with it because MagSafe, the magnets are around the edges, so you have to have something to adapt to that. 
And that's that's interesting because, you know, the idea of then buying a dock for your mobile, you know, object finder thing. I mean, th- this is this has me really annoyed because <laughs> yeah. I get it already. Apple's really about the upsell, and George could tell us a lot about that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm hearing that AirTags, there's going to be a case sold separately. Anton saying maybe, a, you know, a charging accessory, a charging dog. This just sounds like a lot to manage for a device that's made so that you don't have to worry about other things. So you don't have to worry about losing things. A device that is supposed to prevent you from worrying. Do you it's think going to have the, a lot of accessories that you have to worry about attaching to it so you don't have to maybe worry. Like I feel a, like I'm going in circles. power pack that you can charge your iPhone with and then reverse charge that pack. Maybe because maybe it's not referring to... Yeah, it it might not yeah, be important. That's an important distinction. No it could be for anything. It could be for has a next generation AirPods. Reverse wireless charging. Yeah. So maybe it's referring to a different product that can be used on MagSafe and other WPT chargers. Well, where would you want to I'm see just, this implemented? I'm just taking in is this it more for a wireless charging pack? I, honestly, I was just thinking about it in my head. I was making like a thoughts? like a mental 3D model of what it would look like on headphones because. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, the AirPods Max, do, they don't have uh, wireless charging. Am I correct? Yes, charging into something like this. Saying that, and that's where we should leave it. <laughs> we're we're kind of getting down into the weeds here. But, you know, we like to get excited. We like to speculate. Let us know your thoughts. Comment on this podcast and let us know where, where do you see this going? This FCC finally telling us that MagSafe is more than just MagSafe. And it's a perfect time for our sponsor our sponsor is, of course, Anchor. They make this podcast possible. And Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, guess what? It's 100% free, and it's ridiculously easy to use. Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast, and that means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. Appleosophy uses Anchor to distribute Appleosophy weekly to your favorite streaming services like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And you can visit anchor.fm to get started today for free. That's absolutely free at anchor.fm. Get paid to podcasts. We love to see it. Our final story of the day. And it is, of course, our reoccurring segment this week in Apple Crime. This week in Apple Crime, we have 49-year-old Christopher Holmes, and he was charged with three counts of burglary, two counts of theft, and vandalism. He was caught on camera pulling on door handles to close businesses. So he's walking around town. He's pulling on handles to see if there's doors. that An are Apple locked. store? And guess where he ends up? An office? Anyone <laughs> want to take a guess? Close. He's leading with Apple products. He finds himself at the fifth floor Office number 501 at the Tennessee Association of Chiefs of Police. He's literally stealing from the police. We see him break into the glass door by throwing a chair at it. And then he leaves with an iPad Pro, smart keyboard, smart cover, all kinds of pencil accessories, literally stealing from the police. It doesn't get any any worse than this. 
stealing Apple products from the police. He left with a laptop bag that included an iPad Pro and various iPad accessories. Again, he used a lobby chair to break through the office. And it says here, on December 4th, Christopher was arrested and charged with three counts of burglary. That is Mac Pro. In lieu I think, of I a think, $46,000 bond. I, I hope it was worth it. That's iPad. Mac That's Pro money. He, got caught. he had to borrow it from the police and then return it. Yeah, like, like if you look at his picture, he, was going he to return, totally looks like the guy who just wants to borrow an iPad. <laughs> like, he's just like, hey, I just need to use it to check my email for 30 minutes, and I'm going to return it. It was just... It was just really, really dark, and everyone I know was asleep, so I might as well return it to... Uh, I might as well borrow it and give it back soon. <laughs> no, Anthony looks he, a lot better than that. He looks like the guy from, from Linus Tech Tips, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony wouldn't steal the Linux PC. Anthony would remote and, and, and into Anthony it and would, program would it and Linux have PC, it, like, not, not magnetically a, not like all the parts, <laughs> like a transformer, would go to the PC, and then the PC would just walk to his house. How far do I to get to it? Maybe that's why they're 400 bucks. Oh, imagine imagine having, uh, like, remote control. This is <laughs> this is something like, that Linus Tech Tips would do. Imagine putting RC on a... Um, on a Mac uh, Pro, so that you can just remote, can, like drive it to your next location, and then that actually an iPhone to it. That if way, if anyone from is listening, and if you do, it to whatever room you'd like, on it, for us for having it, basically, this is like an episode of Silicon Valley. Better, we, better um, start we need a royalty if you do patent this stuff. By the way, uh, thank you so much for having me on well, the podcast, Brom. I know my internet connection cut out like three times. Uh, that's what that's what happens when you have um, uh, United States internet. It is horrible and slow. And yeah, definitely. Thank you so much it's for the opportunity. It's that work from home life. Thanks for coming on, George. Answer really the community it. questions and go through the latest news and rumors, especially with my favorite host, Bram. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope to be back on Apple Weekly very soon. <laughs> Thanks, Anton. Definitely, we'll see you in the future. No doubt about it. We'll see both of you in the future on this podcast. Thank you for unwrapping the tech of today with me on App Philosophy Weekly, your host, Brom Shank. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep sending in your viewer questions. We didn't have too many this week, but keep sending them in. We started off strong. Keep sending in your viewer questions, and we will answer them live on the podcast. Thanks for joining us for the show. Dude, you're such a Take good, you're such a we'll good see host. You guys Thank next you. week.